Well, good morning, church. Maybe, maybe some of you have been on a backpacking trip before, or, or maybe it wasn't actual backpacking, but you went out on a multi-day camping trip into the wilderness. And if you have, I want you to go back in your mind to that experience. And if you haven't, just try to pretend that you had, right? Because what happens is that over time, your camp becomes home, right? The, the first night, that tent might not feel very comfortable uh, as you're laying there on the ground, but over time, camp becomes home, and inside the camp becomes your comfort zone. You have shelter, you have food, you've got the protection of your companions, you get everything you need to, to live and stay alive. But outside the camp becomes dangerous in your mind, particularly after dark, right? Because it could be bears roaming around, or, or snakes, or the unknown, maybe river people, or something that scares you, right? Out there. Maybe the fear of wandering off and getting lost. Well, I, I once took an extreme backpacking trip with a couple missionary buddies in northern Greece to a place called Meteora, and we, we ended up, it, that became a joke that it was an extreme backpacking trip because it was extremely luxurious and nice. What, what started out as what was supposed to be a backpacking trip ended up, we, we found this really neat kind of hotel, and we ended up settling into that and doing like day hikes, right, and you know, great breakfasts, and it ended up being just extremely, the nicest, most comf- comfy backpacking trip I've ever done. But this is a very interesting place. Maybe, maybe some of you have been there, or maybe you've been at a Greek restaurant, and you've seen on the wall a picture of Meteora. Uh, let me describe it to you. It's this place where you have these, like, pillars of granite that just shoot up out of the ground, like several hundred foot tall towers of, of, of rock, and they're topped with these huge, luxurious monasteries, and nunneries. I'm pretty sure it's been in a James Bond movie. It's one of those kind of James Bond locations, right? And it wasn't always like that, right? Uh, but today, there, there are hundreds of people, monks and nuns, and they do live in different, on top of different rocks, but they can kind of wave through windows if they want to each, at each other. And, and the way you get food up there, or even people, is through a series of ancient ladders and, and ropes and pulleys, but it wasn't always that way, right, with, with these beautiful uh, monasteries. In fact, I mean, they, they literally have gardens up there. I mean, it's, it's, it's like courtyards with gardens and, you know, beautiful architecture, medieval stuff. It's amazing. But, but how it all began was many centuries ago, it was a desolate place where monks would go to try to get away from civilization and to get away from physical comfort so they could focus their thoughts and their prayers on God. And so they literally went and climbed these, these granite um, uh, pillars. Some of them have caves up at the top, and they lived up there and, and would just sit in caves for years and meditate. Sometimes they had a journal. They would write uh, their prayers to God. And you wonder, well, how did they survive? Well, some of them didn't. Um, but, but others, the way they lived was, was local folks would come out and would, would, with buckets would send up food to them, right? And they would drink rain, collect rainwater and stuff like that. And, and but locals would bring food and, and kind of like as an offering to the Lord by, by caring for these monks. And so you can imagine what happened over the centuries. It turned from 
austere living to people started sending building supplies up there and they became these palaces as they are today. And so this is an example of what we see happening throughout the world, throughout history. Rugged camps turn into towns that turn into cities. And, and, and people gather towards civilization. And so we see today that the, the world is being rapidly urbanized. It wasn't that long ago when the majority population of the world went from being rural to being urban. Well, in our text this morning, we are called to the opposite trend. We're, we're called to go outside the camp with Jesus. But first, we need to look to him. Then we can follow and identify with him outside the camp. Finally, we're going to be able to live our lives as a sacrifice of praise to God through him. And that's basically it. That's the summary of our sermon. I could land the plane right now. We could go home. Um, but I'm not going to do that. Um, I, actually, what I'd like to do is share with you the outline up front, which is basically what I just said. Number one, first point this morning is going to be fix your eyes on Jesus. And our second point will be go outside the camp with Jesus. And our final point as we continue working through these interesting verses that Pastor Bill just read is offer God a sacrifice of praise through Jesus. Now we live in a society that is rapidly changing. I mean, I don't know about you, but every day I wake up and I have no clue what the next crisis or the next issue is going to be. You, you read your, you get online, you look at the news, and just things are changing so quickly. It feels like we're living on a sand dune in hurricane season. And you wake up and you just don't know, what, what is that dune going to look like? Is it even going to be there? What is tomorrow going to hold? Well, we do know that for sure, tomorrow won't be the same. In fact, nothing remains the same. Time is passing like sand running through your fingers. And you can't hang on to it. You can't hang on to it. And the older you get, the more you realize that. So for a moment, I want you to just, in your mind's eye, fast forward time. Pastor Kent Hughes writes, Forests rise and stand for a millennium and then fade into deserts. Rivers cut canyons and disappear. Newtonian physics, with its straight lines and right angles, is replaced by Einstein's elegant curves of relativity. The only thing that is sure in life is change. We humans appear for a little while to laugh and weep and work and play, and then we're gone. This is a melancholy thought at best. Our souls long for something solid. Well, the, the good news, brothers and sisters, this morning is that God has indeed given us a solid rock to build our lives upon, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so our text this morning begins with a promise that's worth paying attention to, and is, that is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so let me encourage you this morning to, to fix your eyes on Jesus. And, and by that, I mean the hope of your heart. And as, as, as we were singing this morning, I was, I was actually thinking about this, and I was praying and asking the Lord to help me 
fix my eyes on Jesus because sometimes my eyes just are fuzzy and, and everything seems blurry. Sometimes it's hard to do that, to really fix our eyes on the rock, the solid rock, the solid reality of Jesus. But verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I pray that today he'll help you recalibrate your sight so that you could see him clearly and recognize that there's nothing more relevant for you than clearly seeing him. Because yesterday he created the heavens and the earth. And yesterday he died on the cross for our sins and, and rose from the dead. And today he offers all people salvation through faith in him alone if they will repent and, and turn from trying to serve themselves and, and earn their way and depend on his cross work and his resurrection. If they'll depend on him today through faith alone, he, will, he offers salvation and, and there's still time as long as it's today, as long as that hourglass of your life is still, still running. And so if you're a Christian, you've already done that, you've already trusted in him, you know what? Not only has he saved your soul, but today the scripture says he's praying for you. He's, he's interceding for you today. That's what Jesus does today. But forever, that would be in the future, Going forward, we call it eternity, future, right? World without end, things that we can't fully imagine as finite creatures. But just think of an arrow going forever into the future. He will reign. And he will, we, we get to reign with him as well in glory forever if today we truly trust him. So Jesus Christ is the solid rock that can endure the fiercest storm. So let me encourage you to, to build your life on the rock of Jesus Christ. He said in Matthew 7, 24, that everyone then who hears these words of mine and, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So stop and pause, and in your mind's eye, think and question are you truly building your life on the solid rock? Did you do that this last week? Did you do that this last month? Are you building your life on, on Christ? Or are you looking to other things, to, to sand? You know, some, some, some folks are, are building their lives on popularity or success at work or in sports or at school or maybe it's stuff, right? Things like houses and cars and wardrobes, even vacations. But that's, that's like building your life on a sand dune. Those things will not last. They're temporary. They're temporary. The law of entropy comes into effect. Well, some folks are, are swayed more by exotic ideas, and, and they quickly embrace new philosophies. Others are stuck to the past and stuck to legalism. Well, well, both of these are sirens that direct, that, that distract us from Jesus. And so we read in verse 9, after we're given this promise that Jesus never changes. He's the rock. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 9 says, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace 
not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now, this might seem a little strange, and frankly, uh, as we read the next few verses, it might seem even stranger, like, what in the world is this guy talking about, okay? Um, But we've seen teaching on foods before. Back when we were studying uh, Hebrews chapter 9, we saw that that, that ceremonial, the ceremonial foods of Judaism were unable to cleanse the heart, right? And, and if you remember a year or two ago when we were going through Romans, we considered how, how food had become a dividing issue within the church in Rome between the Gentiles and the Jews over whether it was okay to eat meat or not, right? And so Paul had written in Romans fourteen seven, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, well Mystery Man is, is trying to tell us we should not be distracted from a Jesus focus, or a, you could say a gospel focus, by strange teachings about what kinds of food we should eat. Or, and, and that's probably not an issue for you, You're probably, you probably don't get too caught up on whether you can eat shrimp or not, right? Um, but but there may be other things, other legalistic religious ideas that may distract you from Christ. Like you've got to dress this way to come to church. A, a proper church must have a pulpit and a piano. Anything else, anything less is man-centered. Or on the other side, it could be, hey, dude, you know, spirit-filled worship means a worship band led by a bunch of guitars with a gnarly drummer. We got a drummer, but he's not gnarly, right? We've got to feel the Spirit elevating us to worship God, dude. You see, either either way, these things can can distract because we're inserting our own ideas. Spiritual pride focuses on religious things that I can do versus God's amazing grace, which is received by the humble in spirit. It's received by the, the humble in spirit, right? So things like dress, look, you could, you could, it could be, you know, it could be, you got to wear a suit or you got to wear skinny jeans. It could be either way, it could be legalism, right? Um, you got to conform to my culture. Spiritual pride looks at what I can do versus God's amazing grace. Well, James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. One, one pastor wrote, that grace, like the earth's water system, operates on gravity. The, the spiritual gravity of grace. Just as the waters of Niagara roll over the falls and, and plunge down to make a river below, and just as that river flows ever down to the even lower ranges of its course where it brings life and growth, so it is with God's grace. Grace's gravity carries it to the lowly in heart where it brings life and blessing. Grace goes to the humble, that the soul lying before God is immersed and even swims in a sea of grace. So legalisms, even little ones such as dietary rules, impede grace. Humility invites the elevating weight of grace. So mystery man says that it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And that comes from, from, a, from a, a laser focus on, on Jesus. So we need to keep our eyes focused on him. And, and, and not only should we be looking to Jesus, our second point is that we need to go outside the camp 
with Jesus. Now, the, the connecting tissue here through these interesting verses is this idea of food. Okay, so that kind of connects verses 9 and 10 here. So even, even as Mystery Man goes from the theme of Jesus never changing and keeping an eye on him to, hey, we need to go outside the camp with Jesus, he starts looking back one more time to the old covenant. And the connecting idea is that of food. And what he's saying here in these interesting verses is that our spiritual food comes from the cross of Christ. And so we as Christians have a far better meal. There's a better meal that Christ offers than Judaism offers. That's the point he's trying to make here. Okay, and so here's what he says. He says in verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. When you first read that, you might think, what is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, the cross of Christ is the Christian altar. And so what he's saying is that the spiritual food available from the cross of Jesus Christ is better than that of the tabernacle or the tent, which here represents Judaism. And so in verse 11, he says, he continues to this idea, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Now, the priests in the Old Testament uh, normally, actually, were allowed to eat the meat of animals that were brought to the tabernacle for sacrifices. That was one of the, the perks, as it were, of being a priest. Uh, meat was, it was a very uh, rare, very um, prized kind of thing to be able to eat, and so the priests got to regularly eat meat, the meat of the animals, but not for the Day of Atonement. Because of this idea of a holy God and man's sin, Okay, the, 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 the bull was brought in, the animal was brought in and was slaughtered and its blood was taken into the holy place, the holy of holy and sprinkled, as you'll, as you'll remember. But the, the carcass of the animal was not been, eaten by the priest. It was actually taken outside the camp and, and burned outside the camp. Now, now remember that all this, the day of atonement, this idea of sprinkling blood on the mercy seat inside the holy of holies, right? The very presence of God. That idea points to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, the altar, as it were, of the cross. And, and so Jesus was the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. And so Mystery Man is reminding these, these Hebrew Christians who had come out of Judaism but were still being kind of pulled back. They had that bungee cord on their back, right, kind of trying to pull them back. The, the culture and as, as, as persecution was increasing in the Roman Empire, uh, the, the, the Romans had this idea of one race, one religion, and so Judaism was accepted. But now this new Christianity idea was being viewed as a cult, and they were being persecuted by the Romans for it, much less their relatives who were Jewish who were picking on them and, and saying, hey, come back to this. There was a lot of impetus to go back to the camp, what they know, and that would be the safety zone of, of Judaism. And so Mystery Man is reminding these Hebrew Christians that in the Old Testament, the priests didn't get to eat on the Day of Atonement, but we Christians do. In a, in a spiritual sense, we feast on Christ, which is what we remember when we take communion. We're going to be taking communion in a little while 
uh, this morning. We're remembering that this is the body and the blood that was shed for us, and that we have nourishment. We have spiritual nourishment. We have life because of that final sacrifice on the altar of the cross. And so we Christians are invited to the eternal supper of the Lamb. That's a picture of heaven, feasting in heaven forever because of the atoning work of Christ on the altar of the cross. And, and here's kind of the, the, the point, the kind of the, 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 the deft uh, slate of hand here that, that, that the writer here does here. It's very artistic, actually. His point is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, on that altar, it wasn't inside the camp. It was not inside the tabernacle. It happened outside the camp, on the cross, outside the gates of the city, outside of the, the safety zone, right? And so we read in, in John's account of Jesus' crucifixion in John chapter 19, verse 16, we read, so they took Jesus and he went out. Where, where did he go out from? He went out of the camp that had become a city, right? You remember the, the camp of the Jews was all around the, the tabernacle, and one day it grew, it became a city, the city of the holy city of Jerusalem, surrounded by the temple, God's resting place. That's not where Jesus offered his sacrifice. It was outside the gate, outside the gate. And so they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull. Who wants to go there? Which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And then in verse 20, we read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, not inside the city. And so the fact that Jesus gave himself as the final sacrifice for our sins outside the camp of Judaism means that the great feast of eternal life is available to everyone. It's available to all the nations, to the entire world, to all peoples, not just Jews, Jews included, but all people groups, all people who come to him in faith. And so Jesus suffered outside the camp of Judaism, that, that comfort zone for the Hebrews to purchase our salvation. And our text encourages us to join him there. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So what does it mean to go outside the camp? What does it mean to go outside the camp in your life? Well, going outside the camp means stepping outside your comfort zone. It, means, it meant leaving the comfort and the trust of Judaism for these Hebrew Christians. But what might it mean in your life? Well, it might mean stepping outside that comfortable circle of Christian friends that you enjoy to reach out to somebody on the outside who's hurting and, and lost. And maybe they come from a different cultural or economic background than you. And they might be harder to relate to. But the Holy Spirit might be calling you to cross the street and to go outside the camp. It might even be after a service, as, as Robbie encouraged us this morning. Instead of talking to the same people, maybe you see someone new taking a step outside your comfort zone. Maybe you're shy. Great. Take a step outside your comfort zone and go talk to them and seek to be an encouragement. 
and, and maybe be greatly encouraged. Or maybe the Holy Spirit's calling you to leave the comfort zone of your own country and culture and to go to the mission field. That, you know, as I was thinking about all the different possible applications for going outside the camp, I can't think of a better one. That's exciting stuff. Well, the, the ESV study Bible notes describe going outside the camp as leaving behind the love of this world and our desire for its approval. That's every, that, I think every one of us here probably needs to battle to leave that behind. The, the love of this world and our desire for its approval. And that's because embracing the reproach of Christ means that somebody out there, somebody in your orbit, maybe at work, maybe in your social circles, maybe on your street, somebody won't like you as much. You might not get invited to a party. You might even be passed over on a promotion at work. But in the grand scheme of things, what I mean by the grand scheme of things, I mean eternity. So what? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. You see, we, we could try to hold on to our great civilization or our quote-unquote Christian culture that we kind of live in. But, but that's like trying to hold on to a handful of, of fine dry sand It's going to sift through your fingers. You can't contain it. You can't hold on. But there is a city built on a solid rock. It is no sand dune reshaped by the wind every day. So so why is it that we can endure the reproach of Christ? Why can we endure just the the suffering that that, that is a part of a fallen world? Things like cancer. How can we endure this? Well, it's because we seek the city. That is, to come. Like Abraham, who who left his city to become a sojourner, a wanderer, a nomad. Well, he believed there was a better place. And if we believe the Bible, if our our faith is in Christ, so do we. Back in Hebrews 11, we, we read that by faith, in Hebrews 11, 8, we read that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, I'm I'm thankful for the city and and the, the nation in which I live. Truly, I am. I'm thankful. But you know what? We are not built on the solid rock of Christ. And there is a city that is built by God on the rock. And in Hebrews eleven sixteen, we read what God thinks about folks who are willing to be spiritual nomads. As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I was talking to my kids, I think it was last night, just a little bit about that, about this concept of Jesus saying, I go to prepare a place for you. I think Bunny asked me the question. And, and, I, and it hit me for the first time that this picture of Jesus actually preparing a room, preparing a place for me personally to live in. 
Is that a humbling, is that not a humbling, glorious thought? You know, maybe you've had a guest and you, you really, you know, went all out to kind of prepare a place for them. That's what Jesus says he's doing for us. And here it says God has prepared for them a city. Well, what kind of city is that? Well, let me encourage you. When you, when you go home, we, we probably don't have time to do this this morning. But when you go home today, read Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And just meditate on that. Okay? But this is a celestial city. Where God wipes away every tear. And where he heals our wounds. He eliminates us. He gives us the very light of his presence. No need for a sun or a moon because his very presence lights this city. And, and according to Revelation 21, 22, we reign with him forever in this city. Dr. Muller wrote that our hope is not in the fading city of man. It's in the enduring city of God. We wait for an eschatological city, the heavenly Jerusalem. And it's this city for which we can endure persecution outside the camp with Jesus. So Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world outside the camp. So, so how should we live? What, what does that mean practically for us, right? Well, that's our last and final point. And that is we should offer our lives to him as a sacrifice of praise through Jesus. It's important to remember it's through Jesus, right? Not through our own religiosity or works, but through faith in him, we should daily offer our lives to God as a sacrifice of praise. So look at verse 15 and 16 with me, if you will. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So here we see God praised by our daily sacrifices, both in word and deed. And again, the the connective thought here from the earlier text to this application is that of sacrifice. Jesus being sacrificed for us outside the camp. And now how do we then live? Well, we offer our own lives as a living sacrifice in word and in deed. So let's think about word here. Well, it says word. It defines word as a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And so here we see this idea of of witness, a word of witness. In, In your daily life, in your course of going through your life and your conversations with folks, are you quick to acknowledge the name of Jesus Christ in your life? And you know, I think that's maybe harder here in our culture than in most places in the world, because our culture has this unwritten, wicked uh, norm that says you're not supposed to talk about the religious in, in the public sphere, okay? And it affects us. It, 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 you know, that's part of the city of man trying to impose its wicked will on us to keep us from giving glory to Christ in our conversations. But are you quick to acknowledge the name of Jesus in your life, to give him worth with your lips in your conversation with others, like neighbors, or, or even each other in our regular conversations? I mean, at least with, with Christians, we should be talking about Christ, right? Well, do you? Will you? Today, 
find ways. There's nothing wrong with talking about the football game or talking about, uh, you know, a, a cake you baked. Great. Uh, a sports event. Awesome, you know, uh, uh, something that you, you know, running or whatever, you know, things that interest you. But do you bridge that to talking about Christ? Well, you've got to see Jesus and you've got to go outside the camp with him if you're really going to regularly talk about him, if he's going to be on your heart and on your lips. But this is important. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So speaking of Jesus matters. The, a profession of faith in Jesus matters. And, and so we need to have a, a word of witness, but also a word of worship. When, when we gather together to sing to him, to worship him, do, do you sing out with your mouth and with your soul in, in worship? Because we, we, we want to worship him uh, in truth and, and in both word and deed. And, and you've heard the saying that our, our walk should match our talk. And so Mystery Man here who writes this book of Hebrews also talks about deed. He says, to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we want to worship him and, and offer our lives as sacrifice by doing good. That is sharing what you have. And what he means here is living a life that is marked by generosity. Now, I know, and I have done this, uh, it's tempting to think and maybe to say on Sunday to the Lord, I give you my life. I, I'm, I'm yours. And then you kind of fall back in the routine of life. And so Monday through Saturday, it's easy to, to live life with an attitude that says, hey, this is my time, and, and these are my talents, and this is actually my money. All of these things belong to me. It is so easy to slip into ownership of these things. But 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 says, or do you not know? that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And this applies to all Christians. Those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ don't belong to him, and they haven't been bought with a price. But if you Trust in Christ. If you are a Christian, what that means is you don't have ownership rights even over your body. You ultimately belong to him, and so you must glorify God with your body. So here's the argument I like to make. If my body and my very soul belongs to God, so does everything that it produces, right? I mean, if, if I am his, so are my resources, my time, and my treasure, and my talent. So the challenge for me and for you is, do, do I give him my first fruits of all of these things as an act of worship? Am I living a life of generosity, uh, sacrifice by deed? Now, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about our offering time, um, and I appreciated what David had to say this morning uh, you know, we stop and we pray every Sunday morning in, 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 as part of, our, part of our service, our gathered worship service, 
And we, 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 this is a time we used to actually pass the plate, right? And, and of course, we stopped passing the plate, and we went to online giving and to boxes due to COVID. And then, you know, as, as the pandemic kind of wound down, we, or wound down, we elders talked about, hey, is it time to bring back the plate? And we stopped and we thought about that, and we saw two competing principles here. That the beauty of passing a plate is that what, you're, what we're doing is we're showing community, I think, how we're all together contributing together as an act, our, our, uh, our offerings as worship to God, and it's a great teaching opportunity for our kids. But we also remembered what Jesus had to say about when your right hand gives, don't let your left hand know what you're doing. And we thought about this practice that we'd always taken for granted of passing the plate. We thought, you know, this could indeed um, cause someone who's visiting this idea that, hey, in order to be welcome here or to visit here or worship here, you should, we, we want your money for a religious service. And actually, we've had people tell us such who have visited with us. We've actually, I've had people come to me and, and share that with me that actually I wasn't used to that and, and it kind of made me uncomfortable. Furthermore, we, because during COVID we introduced online offerings, right? We recognized that around half of our church had gotten used to giving online, and we didn't want to tempt anybody into be, to feeling like, hey, somebody might think that I'm not giving, right? And we didn't want you to face a temptation you might not have faced before to, to actually put some token money in that's not really from the heart because you're worried about what other people think, right? But one thing that's very, very important that we not lose, right? Uh, during this prayer time, and we pray for our missionaries because a, a percentage of that offering is, is going to further the work of the, taking the gospel to the unreached and church planning among the unreached. But we want to make sure that it doesn't devolve into just a time of praying for our missionaries and failing to offer our offerings to God as an act of worship. Does that make sense? So if you are a prayer, let me encourage you to remind the church and to to. to pray to, to offer our corporate offerings that the Lord alone sees as an act of worship to Him, because that's what it is. It, it certainly enables the church to do its ministry, but, but it is an act, ultimately and, and predominantly an act of worship. It's a sacrifice uh, to Him. So let me encourage you in that regard, and also I would like to take a few moments just to talk about giving to our church. And, and I want to say that many of you give your time and your treasure and your talent to our church. And, and on behalf of the elders, I just want to say thank you. Our, our church is really run by an army of volunteers, a, a lot of people who give all of those things, talent and, and time and, and treasure. And so we, we appreciate all that you do. But I also realize that it might not be as exciting at times to give to the church budget as compared to maybe some other options that may come along, right? Good things. I mean, things that I hope you will also give to, like supporting missionaries, right? These are awesome things, but I just want to make the argument here that giving to Rocky Bayou Baptist Church, I believe, is a good kingdom investment. And I've got a slide I just want to put up here, uh, if we can. Uh, in 2022, our, our, our church budget is $1,116,663. And this was after a lot of work by the stewardship team and their communication with the elders. And ultimately in our church, 
um, our elders are responsible for how we steward our resources, but we have some great teams that help, that, that, that help assist us in that. So we have a stewardship team, and, and they really work through the big picture. They look at, at, at all budgets, uh, all different team leads in the fall, send the stewardship team what they think they're going to need for the next year. The stewardship team looks at giving trends, establishes the budget, sends it to the elders. Um, they put a lot of work and effort into that whole process. We have a personnel team that helps determine what our staff are paid and how they're cared for so well. We have a mission team that puts an enormous amount of effort into helping um, uh, care well for our missionaries. And so it's really a collaborative effort between these teams and the, the elders to establish, well, what does our budget look like each year? And by God's grace, our church has no debt. And this is due to good stewardship of, of years past. Um, we don't have any buildings or vehicles that we pay um, uh, that we're paying off. So all offerings contribute directly to ministry instead of interest on loans. So I just wanted to show you, just to give you a little quick snapshot. We always do this every year in December, right before, uh, right, right before Christmas time, as we're kind of approving, asking you to approve our budget. But it's easy because that's a 10-minute um, a time after church. And if you're like me, maybe you're thinking about, you know, what's for lunch or, or getting your kids. And, and it's easy to miss this, maybe not see the big picture. But this is kind of what, this is a big picture, 10,000 foot overview of what our church spends its money on. So the total personal salaries, and, and that includes the benefits for our staff, which is 15 people, right? We have eight full-time staff and seven part-time staff. And these are folks who serve our church and serve our community. Uh, everything from pa our pastors who preach and teach to, to folks who, who clean, uh, folks who help uh, uh, minister benevolence uh, in our community, uh, who, who, you know, all of that, that is 56% of our budget every year for these 15 people. And then international missions is approximately 16% of our budget. Now that does not include um, uh, a lot of additional giving that our church does individual or through our Lottie Moon Christmas offering that happens every, every December. Um, many of you very generously every week uh, write checks to our church designated for missionaries, okay? Uh, there's a huge amount of money that comes in for our missionaries through that, and that is not part of this. This is simply 16% of our budget uh, yearly, and so it's about $175,000 that goes that our missionaries know they can count on, that supports our sent ones who are taking the gospel cross-culturally. About 10% of our budget covers local ministry, and that includes evangelism, um, uh, projects that we do here in our community. It includes uh, the, the contributions that our budget gives towards the Heights ministry. Now there's additional funding that comes in from outside the church to the Heights ministry. It includes our student and children's ministry, discipleship, our worship budget, that's 10%. And then the final 18 or so percent goes to operational expenses, which maybe not be, maybe not be as exciting, but are necessary if you like air conditioning, right? Um, or um, insurance, which is necessary for a church to have, or supplies or repairs of, of, of the plant. That's about 18%. Okay, you might be like, well, why are, you, why are you sharing all this detail? Why do I need to know all that? Well, we want you to know what you're giving towards. And so this year, and, and generally speaking, um, generally speaking, um, by God's grace, since I've been here, 
um, we've been, we finished every year uh, uh, in the black, meaning that, that our giving has actually normally been greater than our budget. Now, sometimes it takes a few months um, to, to catch up because usually folks tend to give at the very end of the year. And so sometimes for a couple months we're behind and then we catch up usually in the, in the spring. Well, this year we are 7% under budget and that's not a huge amount. Um, we're shy about $30,000, $38,000 as of last Sunday. And I just want to say here uh, that last year we were so impressed with how our church gave generously through the pandemic. And we realized that this year we're all dealing with inflation. And that's a real challenge as everything is getting more expensive. Gas, groceries, you know. We also know that, that last year, hey, there was less to spend money on, right? I mean, we were kind of pent up and, and now suddenly, you know, everybody's traveling. And, and, and so we kind of get all that. And it's not of grave concern. I I'm, I'm actually believe that everything comes from the Lord. Um, and I am optimistic, actually, that we're going to finish this year out in the black. But it would be helpful if we could meet our budget, really, in the next couple months. By fall, the time that our stewardship team starts working on next year's budget. And the reasons, I have two, there's more than that. But the reasons for that is, for one, I would really like for us to be able to provide for our staff some kind of cost of living adjustment because life has gotten more expensive for them as it has for you. Uh, but even more important is, is I would really like for us to be able to progressively increase our budgeted giving account to missions. Now, to be honest with you, just kind of to show you all my cards, my dream, which maybe we'll never get to, would be that one day that wouldn't be 16%, but like 50%. Okay? That's the dream. That's like the vision. I know it's outlandish. We, we're going to have to grow a lot to be able to get there. But that's my dream. Okay? I got it. It's a dream. I haven't get, I'm, I'm, I'll still pray for that, right? And to get there, that means that progressively we've got to keep moving the needle every year, right? And, and this year we gave more to missions than we did last year. But, but percentage, not so much, right? It was kind of more proportional to, to, to our growth. And I am very thankful for some of the other things we were able to do. But this year, beyond just my dream, uh, life has gotten a lot harder for a lot of our sent ones. Some of the inflation we're dealing with in America is doubled and tripled in some of the places where our missionaries are, are serving. And, and some of their giving has gone down. And so I would, I would like for us to be able to give more, and it's going to be really hard for our stewardship team to justify when they get together in a couple months raising next year's budget if we haven't met ours, if we're not in the black by the fall. Does that make sense? That's not to guilt trip you because I believe you are generous givers, but it's to challenge you and to challenge myself. When I think of our church, I think of the words of Paul when he wrote the Philippians. He wrote in Philippians chapter 4 verse 18, he said to them, and he's regarding a gift that they had sent him, a very generous gift. He says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, let me, let me ask or invite our deacons who are going to be serving us to come forward. 
And let me challenge you, uh, as you spend some time in prayer, reflective prayer, as we listen to some music, to, to ask the Lord, are you, are you giving Him uh, of your talent and your treasure and, your, and, and your, your time? Are you giving these to Him out of a, out of a spirit of just sacrifice and joy? Because are you willing to go outside the camp with Jesus? Or are you trying to cling to the things of this world? And are your eyes on Jesus? And if your eyes haven't been on Jesus like they need to be, you know what? You got a moment right now to ask him for help, to, to put your eyes on Jesus. And so let's do that as, as, we, as we spend some time in reflective prayer, as we prepare our hearts for communion after, after I pray right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege of coming before your throne. We thank you for the altar of the cross of Christ who makes it possible for us to come before your throne. And we pray that you would help us now to fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't yet know him, I pray that today would be the day that they would trust in him and look at him with clear eyes. Lord, eyes that you have cleared, hearts that you have drawn uh, to, his, to, his, to his, his great sacrifice. Lord, we thank you that he is a risen Savior who rose from the dead and he reigns now and will reign forever. We look forward to that day that our, our experience matches that eternal truth. Lord, I, I pray that you would be pleased with uh, the offerings of our lives. And Lord, I pray right now that we would be able to commune with you in, in truth. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As our brother